Hey, Wyoming. Welcome to the Lawn and Garden Podcast with the University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Urshabek. Originally aired on KGOS and KERM in Torrington, join Jeff, Jerry, and all their special guests as they talk all things gardening in the great state of Wyoming. From plant variants to weather events to pesticides and pollinators, our Lawn and Gardening Podcast helps you improve your home garden as well as your small acreage. So let's welcome Jeff Edwards, Jerry Urshabek. Welcome to the KERM Lawn and Garden Show. I'm Jerry Urshabek, filling in for Jeff Edwards. With me today is Gary Stone, Nebraska Extension Educator from Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. How are you doing today, Gary? I'm doing well, Jerry. How's good everything deal. with you? How uh, really good. Hey, what about this weather? Well, I tell you, uh, I guess fall's here. It's, it's fall's on here. <laughs> let's let's get into that a little bit more after a word from our sponsors. Wyoming First Lady Jenny Gordon's Wyoming Hunger Initiative, the Sensible Nutrition Program, and the University of Wyoming Extension are partnering to launch a program called Grow a Little Extra. We invite you to join us in growing a little extra to donate fresh produce to local anti-hunger organizations that support our neighbors facing food insecurity. Stop by your local Extension office to pick up your free seeds or donate extra from your garden harvest. For more information, visit www.nohungerwyo.org grow www.nohungerwyo.org slash grow. All right. Good morning again. I'm Jerry Urspeck. With me is Gary Stone, uh, Nebraska Extension Educator from Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. Gary, this week, the temperatures have been up and down. I think the overnight low on Monday night was like 36 have you been covering crops? I haven't yet. I haven't recommended my uh, clientele to do so just yet. I've been watching what the National Weather Service has been putting out. And uh, yeah, it's gotten down in the freezing, you know, the higher elevations and the, towards the mountains and stuff. But so far for us here out on the Great Plains, it's still hanging around that upper 30s, lower 40s. So we still have a little bit of time. But the air on caution side, you if it makes you feel better, probably get out there and cover some of those veggies. Yeah. Uh, Monday night, we uh, went out and covered our cantaloupe. We planted quite a few of them, but we didn't get such a good crop. But now we have one large one and three little ones. So we went out Monday night and covered them. I would imagine that, that uh, yeah, we, yeah, we'll just continue having to watch that, that thermometer and See if we're going to recover or, or when we're going to cover again. That, that's all you got to do is listen to the weather service and see what they have to say for us. Yeah, yeah. Now, somebody asked me about the ground temperature. And, heck, I, I've never really paid attention to the ground temperature except in the spring. What, what Have you uh, knowledge of the ground temperature, Gary? Yeah, looking at our uh, CropWatch website, the soil temperatures, uh, the four-inch bare soil ground temperatures uh, – right around 70 degrees. So we're still, our soil temperatures are still fairly warm. Man, that would add a layer of protection for the frost, wouldn't it? Yeah, especially if you'd cover them, you know, if we really hit a cold snap real quick and cover them up, that soil temperature certainly keep the plants uh, plants from freezing. 
Yeah. Now, do you recommend a, 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 a row cover or just a towel or a blanket? You know, uh, I, I guess I prefer the, the, the canvas or, or the fabric for, for a cover versus the, the, a plastic, so to speak. Uh, I think that gives just a little bit better level of uh, protection from the plants freezing or, or getting frosted. Sure, sure, sure. So, since, hey, since we're in the garden, are you starting to clean up any of your refuse, uh, clean up around your edges? What are you doing? Well, uh, not quite yet. Uh, yeah, certainly you want to keep your weeds down year-round around the edges and through the garden and keep those cleaned out. But uh, since our plants haven't froze off just yet, uh, we, we've still got time. But uh, that's something to really think about uh, after our uh Plants have uh, gone through their cycle and uh, gave us all the produce that they can. We want to get in there, clean up our refuse. If it hasn't been a disease, to think about putting that in the compost pile if you're composting. And then get ready to uh, take care of your tools and put those away for the winter. Let's, let's get into tools just for a second. To put stuff into your compost, now you, you can't put tomato vines in there, right? You know, if they haven't been a diseased, I do not see why you can't. Uh, they're just still a... Uh, but if you've had um, in-blossom rot? Uh, in-blossom rot is not a disease. That is a function of uh, calcium and water. Calcium and water. So even though that your tomato has gone to crap, probably could, could mulch that as well. Yes. Yes, you I'll certainly could. Yeah. I know that it's awfully hard for us to to anything with the pumpkin vine. We we are lucky ourselves that we have a small space to burn upon occasion when the conditions are correct. And you've informed everybody that's supposed to be informed. And man, they they dry out. And if you don't do something with them, man, they they are a trip hazard like crazy. Yeah, they certainly can be. So. Yeah, you know, you can burn your refuse, your uh, plants that you've raked up and things like that if you want. You know, as long as, like you said, contact your fire marshal and make sure everything's okay to burn. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned cleaning up your tools. Now, some of us continue to use our tools, but at least once a year, cleanup should be a good deal, yeah? Yes. Uh, you know, uh, especially when you know that you're done for the season, uh, using your metal tools and such, clean off all the dirt and everything. You may want to resharpen them, maybe give them a coat of WD-40, just spray it on there and wipe it on there to keep the rust away. If you have uh, older tools like I do from even my great-grand, or my grandfather, not my great-grandfather, but my grandfather, uh, I've taken a, a two-inch piece of uh, PVC tubing, glued a cap on the bottom, uh, the tube the PVC tube was just a little bit longer than the longest handle that I had. And then I'd put that in there and fill it with a mixture of a 50% linseed oil and 50% thinner and uh, soak those wooden handles for a week or so and then uh, let them out, hang them out, let them dry. And then that uh, oil gets in there and keeps that wood from splitting and breaking down. That's a great idea. Now, do you mount that PVC on the wall? You know, you can just stand it in a corner as long as you don't have any kids or dogs or cats that's going to knock it over. It should work yeah. just fine. Yeah, better, better mount that to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you probably ought to, put, you know, put some wire around it, you know, wrap it to a post or something like that. But, uh, yeah. but that's what I do. And boy, I tell you, it makes a big difference 
Well, do you have to ever sand your handles in? You know, not much. Rough spots, yes, but if you uh, you know soak them with that the mixture, that uh, generally smooths things up. It gets that into the wood fibers, and it just makes it last that much longer. Yeah, I really like that idea, and I have a I have a PVC pipe, but I think it's a four inch. It's just it just being more linseed oil. But maybe you could do more than just one implement at a time. Yeah, you yeah you could try it. I mean, uh, since you already have the pipe, just uh, see how many handles you could put in there. Yeah, probably two would be the most that you could put in. Yeah. yeah. Maybe if you had three hoes or something, you might get those in there. But the shovels, rakes, uh, pitchforks, that kind of thing might be a little bit of a problem. Yeah. My uncle had a had a sharpening stone in which you sat on. And you pumped it with a with your feet like a bicycle kind of, and it even had a water tray with a little copper drip tube down to the to the grinding wheel. I always thought that that was the slickest thing, and he'd let me sharpen some stuff. I don't think he had let me sharpen any tools, but just a piece of metal. And you know, the inventions of mankind with electricity is is great, but if you didn't have juice, if you didn't have electricity. Man, one of those pumping grinders were were really the thing to have. Yeah, they certainly would be. And uh, boy, if you can find one now at an auction, uh, you'll pay a pretty good price for it. Even just the stone. Oh, itself. no kidding. The, oh yeah, I, I don't think you could find those anymore. But yeah, they they go at a premium, huh? They do. So uh, in, in place of that, uh, buy yourself a good <clears throat> metal file, and then maybe a. Uh, smaller stone to take the burrs off and that ought to do just fine oh yeah you know uh during the season a lot of times when myrna and i are going out weeding i'll carry just a little round file in my back pocket continue to put a sharp edge on it there's nothing like a sharp hoe when you're trying to cut weeds yes absolutely sharp and, hoe or a good shovel that's sharp oh yeah and you know once once uh, you put a, a edge on it, it doesn't take much to keep an edge on it. Correct. That's right. Yeah. You know, we had, we had, I've seen some lots that have overgrown and man, they had to come in with a skid steer and scrape the ground by back dragging. Some of those weeds were over five feet tall. Oh yeah. Some of that kosher and those Russian thistles, uh, they can certainly get you know, four or five feet tall, four or five feet across, and they've got a stem on them that's as big as your thumb. Yeah. Now, uh, those Russian thistles, they, they've, uh, they, they're getting to a seed pod. Would it do to, to cut those down and to take away that seed population? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that's where I was saying using the shovel. I've got, to, of all the years I've been around, I still haven't learned to use that shovel right. I've Put that end, that wooden end, in the palm of my hand, and I had two blisters to show for it. <laughs> oh yeah! But uh, but using a very sharp shovel and getting down there, cutting that off, get it out of there. I did that, and I waited too long, and now they're all in my fence line and tree row. Oh yeah, they're hard to get rid of. I I swear. My brother lives next to the railroad, and sometimes they're pretty delinquent about cutting and mowing that sort of thing and russian thistle seems to come up in the railroad right away so you know they what is what does russian thistle respond to gary 
Uh, Russian thistle response to, uh, you know, 2,4-D and dicamba. You know, those are probably the most common ones that folks will get. Uh, spray them early, but they, when you catch them when they're two, three inches tall, they're very easy to kill. I, I did that out in my pasture, not necessarily around my garden, but out in my pasture. And uh, I thought I got a pretty good kill. Then we, for once, got a decent rain, and it seemed like overnight those things grew two feet on me. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've talked on the radio about cutting down uh, elm trees or uh, a tree in particular that you don't want. And putting, as soon as you cut it down, putting glyph glyphosate around the cambian edge of the tree would you want to do the same thing with that or with a russian thistle well now are we talking russian thistle or russian olive no russian thistle okay well russian thistle being the weed so once you cut that off uh, from the stem or you know down at the base of the soil level it should not come back oh it and I always thought it did. I thought it always came back from the root, but it does, it just comes back from seed, correct? Yes, yes, it's an annual, so it comes back from seed. And getting back to your question about the cutting those out and get rid of the seed source, absolutely. Uh, yeah. A little bit of history here. Uh, the Wyoming Weed and Pest uh, Districts uh, were formed uh, by the state of Wyoming years ago just because of Russian thistle. That was no the kidding. that got it going. Well, I'll tell you. We had a, we had, it wasn't a Russian thistle, I don't think, but we had one coming up in our backyard. My neighbor came down and she says, you realize you're growing a noxious weed. I go, I go really? She says, if I report you, they'd come in and they'd come in and take that and, and wipe away a couple of square feet of your yard. I go, no, sir. She says, you want to try me? I said, how about if we just kill this thing right now? <laughs> so we well, dug did it up find, did you ever find out what what it was no it was a thistle though because it had that nice purple blooming top to it and the, the leaves were the leaves looked like a thistle of some sort okay well probably must thistle probably some but, birds brought the seed in oh yeah yeah we didn't plant it but uh <laughs> it's just one of those things you know it just come up and well it had a pretty flower there's there's a lot of weeds that have pretty flowers but they're not all necessary, the best thing to have for you. Yeah, one of my pet peeves that the gardeners tend to like that uh, makes me shudder is a uh, jimson weed. And the other name for it is moonflower. Oh, and Gary. It has you... a very, very pretty flower, but it's a noxious weed. It may not be on the Wyoming weed list, but uh, boy, you get those out in the field or in your garden and once they get some size to them, uh, they're like a small tree. And then you might need a hatchet or an ax or something to cut them out. Yeah. Oh, Gary, I hate to tell you this, you'd hate us. <laughs> but we're responsible, we're responsible growers. Once fall starts coming around, we nip those off. And you know, those seeds never have a chance to blow or, or to open up. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I guess we're on your your uh, your naughty list for Christmas. Oh, well, I've you know got a that, lot of weeds that are on my naughty list. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, uh, I forgot that it was called the gypsum weed. Yeah, that's uh, that's the probably the most common name for it. But then uh, people like to grow it like you do for the blossoms, which they are very pretty. Uh, moonflowers, what they call it. 
Yeah, the the flower is a white, deep trumpet, and uh, type of flower, and they they're effervescent in the in the moonlight. They yeah. just seem to glow. Yeah, they do. But th- what a what a cantankerous piece of plant to grow in a in a field or a horse field or something. Now, is it is it poisonous to horses? Uh, the seeds. Horses, yes. cows. Yes, uh-huh. uh, and even humans. Oh yeah. So, no, it's it's not one that you want to have around where. Uh, you know, it, it goes to seed or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And once you have a seed break open, it's it's much like those uh, cactus, those uh, yucca. Mm-hmm. Yucca yes. has a has a tremendous potential for spread with their seed pod. That's true, but then there also is a moth that lives on that uh, yucca plant. It pollinates it. But then when it lays its eggs, the caterpillars get in and they will eat the hearts out of the seed in a seed pod. Okay. If you ever break open a seed pod, you might notice a lot of the seeds, uh, the hearts have been eaten out of them. And that's from that caterpillar that's been in there chewing on them. I'll be darned. Yeah, check it out sometime. Yeah, even even bugs and worms got to eat, right? That's true. Everybody's got to eat. <laughs> so, Gary, what did you, what did you have have best in your garden this year? Oh gosh, you know, uh, well, uh, I guess I won't say so much in my garden, but what I've seen other people bring in, uh, tomatoes and peppers seem to do very well this year for a change, uh, even in spite of the heat. So, uh, you know, maybe we got some cooler weather just at the right time. Those blossoms didn't drop off on us. Uh, Zucchinis always done well, and it seems to be doing well. Not too many problems. Uh, I had a lot of uh, anthracnose in the the tomatoes and rhizoc in them. Uh, And what's that, that, Gary? uh, Those are two uh, diseases that those plants can get. And uh, the best way to do it is... uh, when you get your seed catalogs, or even right now, get them out. Try to find plants or seed that is resistant to the diseases. Uh, Fusarium is another one. And uh, and plant those. Uh, may not be exactly the ones you like. You can still plant the ones you like, but maybe try some different plants that have those uh, uh, factors in them to, so that you will have some uh, fruit come, come this time next year. Yeah, and with everything, you try to rotate your garden, right? Absolutely. You should, uh, you know, if you haven't been making a map, go out and make a map of the garden right now where everything's at uh, so you can sit down this winter and uh, plan your garden for next spring and rotate the crops around as best you can so that you're not planting the same plant in the same area year after year might want to move them around every at least every other year maybe every third year if you can and that'll help cut down on the diseases that those plants could get now we have a couple of of raised beds that i think they're uh they're four foot wide and eight foot long two of them so you should try to to rotate those as well correct yes you want to rotate those uh the other thing that you can do if you've got uh, some clear plastic is uh, put a couple of sheets of clear plastic over those beds, stir the soil up, 
put those sheets of clear plastic over that for say a couple of months, then go back in and kind of till that soil again, uh, put that plastic over it. And that is uh, the, the, the heat and the sunlight will help kill any uh, diseases in that, that exposed soil. So that's why you want to till it up. It's definitely not a cure-all for everything, but it can certainly help. Oh, yeah. You know, and we happen to have a little plastic. We, I think we'll probably try that. And the reason for the two sheets of plastic is it just helps trap the heat and the sunlight that much better. Oh, yeah. Down there to the soil. Yeah. Water it a little bit then, too, or no? Yeah, you could have just so it's moist. You don't want it, you know, muddy wet, but, but moist certainly wouldn't hurt. All right. Hey, uh, Gary, we're approaching that uh, halfway mark. And so I think we'll stop right here and, and uh, we'll hear another word from our sponsors. Looking for the best way to keep up with all the news from University of Wyoming Extension, the College of Agriculture, and Wyoming Ag Experiment Stations? The uwagnews.com website features real-time education, research, and extension events, and feature stories from across the state. And subscribe to our monthly email newsletter. Bookmark uwagnews.com today. uwagnews.com. Growing people, knowledge, and communities. All right, welcome back to the KERM Lawn and Garden Show. I'm Jerry Erschbeck, and with me is Gary Stone. Uh, we've been talking about garden and, and cleaning up garden. Gary, I, I, I would kind of like to talk about some beans. I'd seen something that this was like bean week or bean harvest month, or tell me what that was. Well, uh, one thing, I uh, wrote an article about the bean harvest in uh, the Panhandle in eastern Wyoming and how it was going, and that's up on our uh, CropWatch website. If they're interested, uh, just do a search for uh, Gary Stone CropWatch, and you should see where all my articles are at. But the other thing they had over at Legacy of the Plains this past weekend was our harvest festival. And each year, they pick a different crop. It could be potatoes it could be sweet corn this year just happened to be dry beans and so that was the featured crop for the valley for the two days you could uh, you know go over uh, pay a minimal fee and uh, harvest all the dry beans that you could handle uh by hand yes by, by hand uh-huh uh-huh uh i got a i had an opportunity i was driving north out of henry and i had an opportunity to see a, a picket bean picking machine and okay. i just thought that was fascinating i did not get to see it dump but off of your article they had a picture of it dumping this thing is like a big it's it's a totally different piece of machinery that i've seen ever before and uh jeff said that they're they've been out there for like 15 20 years right yes the pickets have been around quite a while uh, they are a dry bean or especially combined just for, for dry beans. The beans are cut in, uh, in the traditional manner of undercutting the, the roots and then wind growing the cut plants, letting them dry out. And then they come along with this uh, picket combine and they pick up the windrows and it shells them out. And it's made just for dry beans. And then when that uh, tank gets full, it's uh, holding the harvested bean crop, they uh, uh, lift it up and uh, dump it into a truck. and. Uh, to see them get that much weight up in the air is, to me, is pretty fascinating how they keep all that balanced from keeping it from tipping over. Well, if they certainly have to be watching the weather and the wind. 
because I see that becoming just a, a, a big sale to actually tip it over. I'm, I'm sure that there's been times where that machine and that driver have been tipped over. Well, I, I'm sure that's happened, uh, but it's, it's probably pretty well balanced. And, you know, they don't just lift it up right fast and dump it. It's, uh, they lift it up gradually and let the beans slowly flow out of that tank into the truck box. But once it gets all the way up in the air, even though it's empty, it's, it's still quite a sight to see. I bet you it's up there a good uh, 20 feet or better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, do you think that they'll ever discover a way to uh, not have to cut the bean first and yeah, put it into uh, a windrow? Sure. Actually, uh, one of my counterparts, uh, John Thomas, uh, he's in Box Butte County. We are doing some uh, direct harvest uh, studies. And uh, yes, that is where the uh, grower would go out. General, well, it would have to be on a pivot because you do not have any rows. You, well, you can't have any rows. And they will either go out and roll the field flat, as flat as they can get it, and then plant the crop, or maybe plant the crop and then roll it keep it flat, the beans come up and you've got a flat surface and then you take a, uh, a special header on a conventional combine and you would cut the dry beans like you would a soybean. And uh, that's one of the things you're going to be doing or have done uh, these, these past weeks is uh, go up uh, to Alliance and, and Broken Bow and uh, see how uh, these uh, combines are working and what kind of harvest loss we get with them. So how many passes would you be saving if you could direct cut beans? Well, you would save uh, the undercutting and windrowing. So there's one, one pass right there. So basically that's what you would save. And then as long as the windrows didn't get wet and they'd have to come back and what I call lift them up to get them dried out, you know, that might save another pass. But uh, for the most part, it'll save one pass. But uh, if they direct harvest, generally they have to desiccate the crop and uh, make sure it all dries down at the same time and then uh, wait until the crop's dry and then they just go in and combine it. So that desiccation would be a spray? It would be a spray, yes. So anytime you can, excuse me, anytime you can uh, reduce the number of times going up and down your field, I think that's always a good thing. You know, uh, the, the, the wind rows are prone to, you know, wind storm, and we had a few come through, and I noticed a few uh, growers uh, got caught with their wind rowers or wind rows out in the field. They hadn't dried yet, so they couldn't combine them, and the wind came along and picked them up and scattered them across the field, and of course, you get shatter, so you get harvest loss from that. Uh, the other, the downside on the direct harvest is that if you don't have those lower pods at least two inches above the ground, you're going to cut that pod open and you chances are you're going to lose all the beans out of that pod that you cut with that sickle bar when you harvest. Yeah. So there's always something, isn't there? There's always something. So uh, hopefully our bean breeders are trying to get a more upright structure in the plant to get those pods higher off the ground so that the direct harvest would be even more of a thing that the growers could think about doing. Yeah. Now, at the last part of your article, you mentioned, yes, beans can be used for cake, chocolate, brownies. Oh, yeah, brownies, fudge, and mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. Now, uh, let, let's talk about that just for a second. <laughs> so here you have your white 
nice white fluffy potatoes do you add like half a mix the beans would have to be cooked and mashed right okay so what you would want to do and i don't have the recipe right in front of me this sure. uh, comes from one, one of the field ladies that, uh, that did this uh, to promote beans uh, she took great northerns which is our white bean and, and you cook them and then she uh, put them in a food processor and uh, you know basically turned them into mash because you don't want any clumps or pieces of bean you right. want it uh, smooth and she told me she mixed two-thirds uh, great northern beans with a third of mashed potatoes served them at thanksgiving and everybody asked her, said, well, where's your beans that you always produce? Or, you know, where, where, where's your bean dish that you always have for us? And she said, you already had it. And then she told them what they did. So, uh, you know, starting out, I would recommend maybe a third of the volume be great northerns mixed in with your other mashed potatoes and then uh, see how that goes from there. And uh, and you might be surprised because they 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 couldn't tell that they were eating beans with their spuds. Now I've heard of cauliflower being spun uh, being steamed up and spun up and and have cauliflower mashed potatoes, but I've never heard of beans mashed potatoes. And my mind just went to to pentos, so I would like going, man, wouldn't that add a brown color to your mashed potatoes? <laughs> no, that's but what it, you use great northerns. <laughs> you bet. But I imagine it'd probably be good. Well, you know, uh, I mean, you're adding more protein to your diet. You're adding certainly a lot more fiber, and there's a lot other micro, smaller nutrients that are in the beans. That you know, it's it's a healthy food. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's an interesting way to use that. You know, and for the brownies, it's basically uh, you take a brownie mix and get a can of uh, black beans and uh, drain them. Uh, again, mash them up real well, mix them with the brownie mix, and uh, bake it. So there should be no guilt in eating a, a, a brownie-filled bean, a bean-filled brownie. That's it. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the kids come home after school, and they want a snack, and you're feeding them some oh, yeah. brownies that have some black beans in them. No, you shouldn't feel guilty at all. You're, you know, protein, nutrients, fiber. <laughs> uh they won't know the difference. You know, we used to used to uh, feed a bunch of kids when my, our son was here at the house, and Myrna would hide the broccoli and the cauliflower, and and of course a few carrots, all shredded up, but in a spaghetti form. And and uh, kids just really like spaghetti, but they really don't know that they're eating cauliflower and broccoli. <laughs> if you if you spin it up, just like he said, if you spin it up. And there's no chunks. Yeah, people have a tendency to say, "Man, this is good." And the other other great great thing about it is that we're uh, su supporting a locally grown crop, uh, supporting the growers. It helps all of our economies in both states, and it's an excellent product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, hey, Gary, was there any other uh, garden cleanup that we should be looking at as well? Okay, well, this will probably go to the trees and maybe our lawns and things like that. But uh, if you noticed any of maybe your oaks, uh, maybe some of the other trees had some uh, spots on them, uh, might have had oak leaf blister or something like that, you want to do a sanitation, rake up those leaves, do not put them in the compost pile. Uh, the disease spores 
on those leaves will survive the composting. So you wanna get rid of them. Uh, don't use them as mulch or anything like that. Uh, so yeah, do a good general cleanup around the trees, around the lawn, lawns, maybe even look at the, you know, checking for mulch. Uh, we have our little furry friends, the voles, they'll be coming out this winter. Uh, you know, clean up uh, those flower beds, uh, get all the uh, dead flowers out of there. Uh, voles like cover. And if you deny them the cover, chances are you will have less problems with those little critters. So uh, general things like that. So Gary, your opinion, if one were to put plastic over their garden, you would advise to remove the plastic over the winter? When you say plastic, are we talking uh, over your uh, beds like you had before? Oh, no, no. Uh, if we, uh, We've always wanted to have a little better control over our weeds. And uh, we're thinking for next year, we'll put plastic on the garden itself. Uh, but you would suggest then to remove the plastic if you had it on the garden for yes. overwinter? Yes, I, I would say take it off the garden for overwintering. And then, you know, you said you want to use plastic next year. Uh, another thing to consider is uh, maybe save up your newspapers. Two, three, four layers of newspaper covered with some nice straw on that would be a good mulch. And eventually that would break down, you know, help the soil out. Oh, yeah, that would be a good deal. So something like that was certainly something to think about. Uh-huh. Have you plans for next year? Or are you doing something different next year? Right now I'm... Going into my third year, trying to get some uh, more trees established. Uh, my windbreak right now is, what, 35, 40 years old. It's starting to thin out a little bit. So I'm uh, working with our local NRD. And, of course, up there in Wyoming, you'd work with your conservation districts on uh, getting some trees planted or get a source for the trees. And uh, trying to get some more trees planted in front of my old wind row to kind of beef it up. Yeah, I'm doing I had a neighbor tell me that he tried to plant a, a tree next to his walnut tree, but apparently the walnut tree puts out a little something that won't allow other trees to grow real close to it. Is that true? I believe you are correct. It's uh, aleopathic is, is what it is. It produces a compound that uh, prevents other plants from growing. Uh -huh. Alfalfa does that with its own seedlings. So oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of alfalfa. You know, so yeah, so that's how that kind of works. So you really have to have to like get away from that tree. Uh, do you have any walnut trees in your tree row, Gary? I've got one. I have no idea how it got started there. I don't know if it was something my dad had planted or Squirrel. just how it got going. Uh, it took a hit here two or three years ago, I think from the freeze, but it's but it's still alive, and I see there's still some walnuts on it. I don't know how good they are, but uh, I guess I'll let the squirrels have them. Gary, we have a we we had a downburst of wind, I don't know, seven years ago or so, and it blew over this walnut tree in town, and I they must love that walnut tree because it just went down on its side, and you know there was several big large branches, so. The, the main trunk is probably at a 30 or 40 degree angle. And they just put more dirt at the base of the roots and kind of piled it up. And you know that tree is still alive and well, bears fruit. Well, good. <laughs> I, I drive by it every once in a while just to look at it. And 
And uh, yeah, it's it's got walnuts on it right now. And not to be a, a downer on walnuts, but the, they did find thousand cankers di- disease in uh, Cheyenne here this year. And that Uh-oh. is a disease that really affects walnuts. So it's spread by insects. I can't tell you right off which ones they are, but the, but it is around, so they need to be aware of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, do you have your trees on a drip system, your uh, your cover cover trees? Uh, well, my the ones that we established, uh, no, they're not on a drip system. I mean, they're you know 35, 40 years old, so they're fairly sizable trees. The others, uh, I kind of uh, dug a furrow uh, with one of my farm ditchers that I had, and I planted the trees in that furrow. Oh and yeah. I run the, and then I run a hose and just water the length of the furrow. Yeah. My trees. Yeah. Uh, irrigation tile style. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that seems to work well. I uh, since they're ponderosa pines are what I'm shooting for. Uh, maybe every other week, every third week at least. Uh, trying to hit them with some water. Don't want to get them too wet. Uh, even though they're young trees, uh, if I get them too wet, the, the roots will rot on me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the furrow should should gather some snow if we get any snow this year yeah and uh and it gathers all the leaves off my hackberries and that's where the bowls live under there so i got to get out there and rake those out after the leaves fall so yeah keep those little uh, critters away from my young trees <laughs> they are one of my nemesis well we built a garage and you could just see that they went right underneath that cement pad and they found a new wintering spot <laughs> i'm sure they did <laughs> so that's that's what I was uh, considering when I thought about putting plastic on the garden next year is, will I just be making a good habitat for the voles that are there? You know, if you're watering your garden and if you're using a drip line, probably not. You're going to be walking on that enough, you know, that you're probably going to keep away. Now, are you putting the plastic around the plants or down the un garden area (laughs) i think i'm gonna try to shoot for covering three-fourths of my garden with plastic okay you know unless it stays real moist under there uh yeah you could be providing a home for them if it's black plastic it might be too hot that they don't want to stay under something like that too there's always that hope (laughs) (laughs) there's always that hope yeah i've been my neighbor and I've been chasing voles for a long time, and man, they're they're fairly a resistant critter. I don't think that there's very many of them. I think from what I've read, there's just one or two or three that that kind of rule the roost, and they multiply. Oh yeah, absolutely. They can certainly yeah. do that. You ha- you have had some nice articles that I've I've been privy to. Uh, would you tell people how to how to maybe get in touch with? those articles over the internet? Sure. Uh, again, uh, just do a search for uh, UNL Crop Watch and in my name, Gary Stone, and you will find the, find the main link to all of my articles. I got like seven pages of them. Anywhere from, uh, you know, uh, what the snow pack is in the mountains for us for our uh, river system, uh, different uh, noxious weeds, uh, the tunnel collapse that we had over there on the Goshen Ditch on tunnel number two and on uh, sugar beet and bean harvest. So yeah, there's quite a different uh, choice to look at. 
yeah, there, there's a lot of information if you ever wanted to to uh, know more than what you know today. So uh, for us, with that plastic, we were hoping that we don't have as many weeds because for us, the weeds get away from us and then we just use a weed eater to keep them low, but that doesn't prevent them from throwing off seed. Correct. I mean, yeah, uh, you'd be surprised how re resilient uh, those plants are. Even though you cut them off down to ground level, they will find a way to produce seed for next year. Yeah. Gary, are you a cover crop guy? Well, are we talking cover crops or forage crops? <laughs> <laughs> uh, cover. Cover crops. Okay, uh, so cover crops. You know, our, 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 our bean growers, they've got their uh, beans off. They've got them off already. They've already gone in and tried to plant a, plant a cover crop to hold the soil for the pivots. Uh, it certainly wouldn't hurt if you've got your garden. You know, you're a smaller scale. If you've got all your uh, old plants off of there, go in there, plant some oats or some rye, you know, to hold the soil, uh, trap some moisture throughout the winter. Of course, hopefully they're going to die so that next spring you don't have to contend with them as a weed. Uh, but if you go in there, you know, plant that cover crop, and then if you till it under, you've, uh, you know, added more organic matter to the soil, and that's always certainly a big plus. What do the bean guys plant for cover? You know, they'll probably try and get some uh, wheat seed, uh, maybe some rye, uh, triticale, probably, if they can, anything like that. And then, of course, that'll come up this fall hopefully uh hold the hold the soil for them they'll let it grow up a little bit and then generally they uh, go back to sugar beets in, in those areas and uh, so you know, if it was wheat now i don't know about triticale but wheat would grow back in the spring did they would they spray that before they put beans back in yes yes what they'll go in they'll uh, spray that cover crop out with a uh, usually glyphosate or a roundup type product and the kill that and then they'll uh, wait a few days and then uh, plant their next crop into that. Uh, they won't, they won't do anything to, to take the weed off the drill right through that. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, they, they, they don't let it get too big. Uh, you know, maybe three or four inches tall, they'll spray it oh. out. And then that uh, dead crop will provide some wind protection to the newly seeded uh, or new, new sugar beet seedlings that are coming up. Uh, so yeah, it's a win-win all the way around. Yeah, that's, that sounds like a, a, a good deal. I've done cover crop before and, uh, usually wheat and I've let it, <laughs> I've let it get too tall before, you know, like knee high and that's yeah. a booger to put underneath. But if you have a good rototiller, you can do that in three or four swipes. Yeah, so yeah, you don't want to let it get too big if you're going to do it in your garden. Like you said, maybe six, eight inches tall at the most, and then till it under as, as best you can. And then that yeah. provides, yeah. Some, uh, you know, more, more organic matter and uh, nutrients for the soil. Yeah, I like that idea about cover crops. But uh, the the triticale, what does that do? Does that come up now yeah, and then again? Similar. Yeah, it'd be similar to wheat. Similar to wheat. Okay, good. You know, and people talk about some sort of peas, winter peas. Winter peas. Uh, I haven't seen people do that as a cover crop. Uh, they're think at least our studies here at the center. They're thinking about doing that as an actual crop instead of just a cover crop. 
Oh, really? And then they'd yeah. harvest in spring? Yeah, they'd harvest in the spring. Now, our regular uh, dry peas that they plant in, gosh, March, uh, if it gets too hot later in the season, you know, they they drop their blossoms. So that's why they're looking at the winter pea, because if it'll overwinter through our harsh winters and come on and produce a crop for the grower next year, that's probably what they'll be looking at. Yeah, so uh, our our best stuff in the garden this year was onions. Uh, we had a pretty good crop and got those into the well shed, and we're utilizing them. But they appear to be kind of uh, uh, hot to our eyes when we cut them. So I've heard of running water, uh, cutting them underwater, uh, burning a candle to stop uh, wearing goggles to stop your eyes from crying? Well, uh, <laughs> I'm sure cutting underwater would help because uh, when, when you uh, cut an onion or something like that, you're breaking those uh, cells open and then they get that chemical reaction that causes your eyes to water. So yeah, usually I can get through one or two onions when I'm cutting them up for my chili or something like that about the third onion it uh, finally gets to me so i don't know yeah. if there's any real way of getting around it <laughs> yeah myrtle will say bad memory i said no onions onions making me cry so jerry i'm curious you're going to think about it's it's a little late this season but the uh, planting garlic you ever tried that oh yeah i have you know jeff and i talk about garlic quite a bit amongst ourselves and we like the scapes he likes them a lot better than I do. That's escape is when the garlic actually comes up, does the little pig twist on its top and produces a little bulb. You can actually take those off and spin them up and, and uh, make a garlic paste with them. They're, they're really good. But yeah, uh, usually I plant my garlic in August. Uh, it might be just a little late, but I think you could still probably plant garlic. I know my younger brother out of Idaho Falls, he really gets into planting his garlic. He's so proud that he has, I don't maybe 10, 12 square feet, and he has bags of garlic that he harvests every year. Of course, they eat it all, too. <laughs> Does he send you a Christmas sack? No, he keeps it all to himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, either really like garlic or you don't like garlic, and for most of uh, my wife's dinner preparations or preparations period, it starts with onion and garlic. So, yeah. you know, how do you, how do you, gosh, how did you make this? Well, you cut up some onion, you put some garlic in it. Those are the two things and olive oil. Those are the three things that, that are, are a must in our household. <laughs> well, that's good. Garlic's good for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. One of those, one of those good ones. Except if you get too much, and then it get, gives everybody heartburn, and that, and they ask, "Are you trying to kill us?" <laughs> we made a, a chicken pot pie and took it over to our neighbor, and that's exactly what he asked. Good <laughs> gosh, are you trying to kill me? <laughs> Can you reduce that garlic the next time you give me something? So whenever you're giving away, giving stuff away, you know it's buyer beware. Mm -hmm whether it's you know, onions, garlic, or zucchini. You know, I, I guess I'll go back uh, before we call it quits here for the season or for the, the session. 
if folks are wanting some more bean recipes, they can certainly contact their local bean processor, Kelly, Trinidad, New, New Alliance, all of those. I think just about all of them have a bean cookbook. Uh, the other source is to do a search on the internet for UNL food and then uh, type in the search box uh, dry beans and you'll find 10 pages of different dry bean recipes. I'll be darned. You know, uh, funny you should mention that. My my grandson gave us a five-gallon bucket. We said, hey, are you doing beans? He goes, yeah. He says, hey, could we have a few? And he says, yeah. <laughs> he gave us a five-gallon bucket full of them. And man, people are going to be getting Christmas presents. Yeah. <laughs> five gallons is a lot is a lot of beans. Well, you can do that and uh, send a cookbook with them. Oh, you know what? Uh uh, I've heard of other people buying a, going to like Kelly Bean and buying a hundred pound sack and then giving that as Christmas presents and with a, a cookbook. What a great idea. You know, yeah, you're uh, again pr promoting a locally grown product uh, that's healthy, helping the farmers out, helping everybody out. And I can attest if you cook fresh beans, they cook faster than beans that have been sitting for a while. You know, I guess I'd have to agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gary, it's been a it's been a joy talking to you and I appreciate you coming on our show. And uh it's it's getting to be about that time that we need to wrap up. Hopefully next season maybe we can contact you if you're still working. Well, I plan to be, so yes, I'd be more than happy to take part. I always enjoy it with you and uh, Jeff. Yeah, we always enjoy having you. Well, thank, well, thank you, you, Gary, and everybody, uh get out there and clean up your garden. And we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Lawn and Garden with the University of Wyoming Extension Specialist, Jeff Edwards, and co-host Jerry Urshabek. Listen each week for details on new events and how to make your garden flourish. Good day and happy gardening.